All right, Matthew chapter number 13, uh, let's uh, stand. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. Let's all stand in honor of God's word. In verse number one, it says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and a great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, I want to pause right there because what we're getting ready to read is the sermon of Jesus Christ himself. As we read this, I want you to remember that these are not the words of a preacher or a denomination or a religion. These are the words of Jesus Christ, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to preach this morning on the subject of conditional salvation. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless our time together. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the words of Jesus Christ. Lord, not only the creator of this entire universe, but the Son of God that went to the cross of Calvary and died for our sins. And Lord, you brought your disciples and the people that were listening this parable, this story of a sower, and different types of ground that the seed fell upon. And Father, these are very important truths, very relevant to what we experience with the gospel message not only in receiving it, but also in telling others and how they respond to it. And Father, we just pray that someone here today, that you'd touch their heart and maybe find some good soil, Lord, where the seed of the gospel could bring forth fruit. We pray for that here this morning and just help us to communicate clearly. And Lord, we understand that these are not man's opinion and the words of man, but rather the word of God. And may it be received as such and may it be preached as such. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's my opening statement, and please listen closely. The gospel has never been very effective. The gospel has never been very effective. What? I know what you're thinking. How can you say that? If you have received the gospel, you know it was effective to you. But let me ask you a question. If you bought a product that only worked, say, about one out of every 100 times that you used it, you probably wouldn't classify it as very effective, would you? Well, we understand that the gospel is, I mean, no doubt it's a message that's more powerful and truly effective than any other message that the human Uh, human history and human race has ever heard, and yet we know that more often than not, it falls upon deaf ears or it falls upon 
different kinds of soil where the seed can never bring forth fruit. The parable that Jesus is teaching makes it clear that the seed is affected by the condition of the soil that it is sown in. Uh, how many of you have ever dealt with, say, uh, parents or grandparents that uh, once they become uh, older or elderly, that you, you try to get them to help themselves and say, hey, you know, you need to get out of your chair and you need to get a little bit of exercise. You need to start eating healthy. And you, you just watch those people that they just quit on life and they give up and they just want to sit there and waste away to nothing. And you try to talk to them and you try to encourage them, but they won't listen. The same token, how many times have we seen teenagers that good kids, but all of a sudden something changes and they just want to lock themselves in their room all the time and they become very antisocial and everything you say to them is met with friction and resistance. It doesn't matter if you take the soft approach or the firm approach. No matter what happens, it's always met with a bunch of resistance and you try to understand and yet they just won't listen. Your message may be perfect. You may be saying the right things. You may be saying what they need to hear, but something changed in their heart and no longer is the truth or the message that they don't want to hear, no longer is it received. Nothing wrong with you. Nothing wrong with your advice. But in all reality, it's all them. The condition is not appropriate for the message. When we think about the term conditional, it's used to describe something such as an agreement that something will only happen if something else also happens. That's what a condition is. And there are certainly conditions that affect what God wants to do. Compare the following incidents in the life of Christ. In Luke chapter 5, verse number 17, and it came to pass that on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And what does it say at the end of the verse? It says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Nothing wrong with the power of God. At this particular place, there was some healing and some helping going on. But consider in Matthew 13, verse number 58, it says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's conditional. Jesus was no less powerful in Matthew 13, 58 than he was in Luke 5, 17. He had just as much power to heal and to help and to cast out devils and to preach and teach the truth, but... In one place, he couldn't do much. In another place, the multitudes are thronging and following him, and many people are healed. There are conditions that affect what God wants to do. And when the conditions are not right, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do a work in your heart and life. But certain conditions need to be met. Now, let me call a time out and just throw this out as a note for all of you Bible scholars out there, please understand that I recognize that the parable that we just read that Jesus taught that it's relevant to the gospel of the kingdom. And I understand and we teach here that the kingdom and the church are two different things. 
But nevertheless, even though the seeds that we're talking about are different seeds, the principles are still the same. My first point this morning is this. There's never anything wrong or lacking with God and the power of his word. We've got a powerful Bible here. We've got a powerful message in the gospel. Isaiah 59 and verse number one says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ears heavy that it cannot hear. But he says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What do we see there, folks? We see that there are certainly conditions that have to be met before God's going to do what he wants to do. Amos chapter 8, verse number 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord, not a famine of preaching the words of the Lord, not a famine of teaching the words of the Lord. Listen, in today's culture, we really don't have a shortage of gospel preaching You can get it on the internet, you can get it on the radio, the television. I'm not saying that every preacher and every ministry out there is preaching the truth. And even those that are preaching the truth of the gospel aren't necessarily living the truth of the gospel. I understand that. But listen, uh, there is is plenty of message out there about Jesus Christ. In Paul's day, there were some that were going around mocking him and making fun of him and imitating his preaching. And people were coming to him and saying, what are we going to do? Are we going to stop him? And Paul said, hey, God forbid. He said, I'm just glad that the name of Christ is being named. We have so much of Christ and the gospel in our culture today. Why are things so messed up in America Is it because the gospel doesn't really get the job done? Because it's not effective? I say no, it has nothing to do with the message or God. It has to do with people. The condition of hearts. Listen, there's plenty of good seed. There's just not very many good places to plant it. I've lived in different places in this country and I've seen places where the soil was good but the conditions weren't always right. Uh, I grew up in Idaho, and boy, that soil, uh, they call it a volcanic soil because in the Northwest, there used to be a lot of volcanic activity. Still is a little bit. Some of you remember Mount St. Helens in Washington, and all those volcanoes would erupt back uh, thousands of years ago, and they'd put all of this ash on the soil, and it would eventually get worked in very very rich in nutrients and nitrogen and all of that. But the problem where I grew up, it was desert because there wasn't any water. I mean, it just didn't rain very much, especially in the summer. And so you had to bring, if you take and you brought water to that soil, man, you talk about some crops that you could grow, a garden that you can grow, a lawn that you could grow. It was amazing what that soil would do, but not without help because the conditions by themselves were not being met for a fruitful crop. 
Listen, folks, there's nothing wrong with the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is still powerful. The message can still save your soul. The word of God can still change your life, but the problem is not with God or the message or the seed, but the problem is with the soil. So remember, there's never anything wrong or lacking with God or the power of his word. Number two, number two, never confuse the term unconditional with the term unmerited. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God extending his love and favor upon us. But listen, just because something is unmerited doesn't mean that it's not also conditional. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 10, Paul's giving us a practical application of serving the Lord. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. What kind of grace is he talking about here? He's talking about God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Listen, if you've ever tried to do right or to serve God in your own power and in your own willpower, you have found that it doesn't take very long until you realize that it is totally futile to try it with self-effort. Oh, you can do good for a little while. You can be strong-willed and you can be stubborn. There are people out there that are very stoic, that live very controlled lives, very regulated, very scheduled, but then some kind of trial or trouble comes along that just throws everything, throws a wrench in your plans, or maybe some stress or some pressure. Maybe you said to yourself, look, I'm never going to lose my temper again. (laughs) And you may do well for a while, but when the circumstances are just right, you find out, you know what? I can't do it. Paul understood. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God, by God doing for me, in me, and through me what I could never have even done by myself. But then he goes on to say, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul says, I labored more. He said, I outworked them. I did more. I suffered more. I sacrificed more. Was he being braggadocious? Absolutely not. He was just being realistic that his commitment to taking what God did for him and what God did in him and what God wanted to do through him, he was yielding to that more so than other people were. So God wasn't wasting his grace on the apostle Paul. But at the end of his sentence there, he said, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Obviously, the grace of God, while it is unmerited, it is still very much conditional. Now, when it comes to our salvation especially for you theologians and Bible students out there, we understand that grace, that God grants repentance. Listen, there is no doubt, not in my mind, that the Bible teaches clearly that in order to be saved, we have to repent. 
And I've heard people argue over what are we repenting of? You know, are we repenting of our false religion? Are we repenting of who we are? Are we repenting of what we're done? We just sang the song Victory in Jesus. And the third verse says, but I repented of my sins and won the victory. Repentance doesn't save you, but it is a condition in which we have to repent and turn to God, turn from whatever, I mean, listen, we all come from different situations. We're all sinners. And so whatever you're thinking in your mind, whatever God shows you, whether it's, you know what, my religion is false, my life is false, I'm, you know, at some point, in order to be saved, we have to recognize the fact that I'm wrong, and God is right. I'm going to take God's side. Really, repentance is nothing more than just saying, I'm wrong, God's right, I'm taking his side against me. It's really not that complicated. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. We can get nitpicky over semantics and details, but listen, repentance is something that God has to grant but he doesn't do it without your will having a desire to say, you know what, I'm turning toward God. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not works. It's not cleaning yourself up to come from God. It's simply saying, you know what, I'm changing. I'm willing to change, and so I'm going to turn toward the Lord. If it's complicated to you, if you can't understand it, then all you have to do is just ask God, say, God, help me to understand repentance. I guarantee you, you'll find it's not near as complicated as you think. God does that. He grants repentance. He gives faith, but he does it in response to our heart and will. He doesn't do it arbitrarily to it. Hosea chapter number 10 and verse number 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. You know what fallow ground is? That's hard pan. That's ground that's so hard that you see it cracking. Uh, you've seen it, the clay soil around here. If you go without rain for about a couple weeks in the summertime, and that sun's baking down on that clay soil, and you'll just start seeing cracks all along through it. Why? Because it's hard and it's dry. Man, you can take a 50-pound bag of seed and you can throw it on that soil and it's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit on the top of the soil. What do you got to do? You got to take a plow or you got to take a hoe or a, a cultivator or something and you got to break up that hard ground to create a seed bed. God says to us, break up your fallow ground. Is your heart hard? Here this morning, we're living in a day where people's hearts are hard. You know, when you think about it, you remember what Jesus taught about divorce? Now listen, I know some, we're not supposed to say that word because it causes a lot of, you know, bad feelings and emotions with people. I'm not trying to torture anyone that's suffered because of that word. But they came to Jesus and they said, they said is, it, is it okay to put away your wife for any cause. And you know what Jesus taught him? He said, you know, Moses gave you that right to write a bill of divorcement and put away your wife. Moses gave you that. But Jesus said, you know why he did it? 
He did it because of the hardness of your heart. That's what Jesus taught. And you know, what happens in a marriage relationship where it cannot be reconciled, it cannot be fixed, someone or both have not been willing to change or yield or be charitable or be loving to keep those marriage vows. Someone has said, you know what? Just like that teenager who shuts himself in the room, just like that elderly person that plops down in the rocking chair and says, I'm quitting on life. Something changed in the heart to where no longer is that heart tender and receiving the word of God and the grace of God. The same thing happens in people's lives when it comes to the gospel. God says, break up your fallow ground. Don't be hard-hearted, for it is time to, for you to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. I know what Hollywood's told you. Hollywood has said, you can't, whatever your heart says, that's what you have to follow. If you fall in love or you fall out of love, then you just got to follow your heart. That is not what the Bible teaches. You can change your heart. Amen. Thank you. Let me say that again. You can change your heart. Your soil and your heart and how you receive the word of God, you have some control over those conditions. And if you're not receiving the word of God, it may be because you have allowed your heart to get hard. Number three, number three, the work of God is not a religious experience, but rather it is a personal one. Let me explain what I mean by that, and I'll explain by the scripture. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse number 13 says, for this cause... Also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Uh, you know, the apostle Paul might not have been a very dynamic preacher, you know that? You remember the time where he preached long until midnight? And that young man fell out of the loft dead. I mean, way up there. He was several stories up trying to hear, and Paul just kept preaching. <laughs> Some of you feel that way a lot of times when I'm up here. So I was okay. I haven't preached till midnight yet. <laughs> That's why we don't have balconies in here. <laughs> I, you know, Paul said that his, his, his speech was plain and simple. I, I don't know if he was very dynamic. I, I think he was profound, no doubt. He had some depth in what he said. But I have no idea. I, I just read in that that Paul's personality probably wasn't that dynamic and entertaining and mesmerizing. And that's what people want in preachers today. Aren't you glad that you got me? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that was a joke. I hope you know that. That's what people are looking for. Or they're looking for a movement. Well, I know that this religion is right. 
I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm blah, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And so we just assume that that's where we're supposed to be. We're at the right church, the right religion. Paul says, when we preach to you, you didn't receive it at all that way. But you recognize that what we were saying to you were God's words. And you received it as if God had spoken from heaven. You know, that's why it's so valuable to know we've got a Bible here. That we're not preaching a denomination. We're not preaching a personality. We are preaching the word of God. And you know that if you, if, if anything is said from this pulpit, if it's true and if it's God's word, you want to know how to, to get it to just totally transform your life and be powerful in your life, then do like they did at Thessalonica. He says, you, when you heard it of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I grew up in a home where I was taught from, I mean, even when my, my parents weren't right with the Lord, even when we weren't going to church, we had Bibles in our home, and I was taught that the Bible is the Word of God. That was just part of our home. When we started going to church, I, had, I was in churches, and I had teachers and preachers that regardless of what I heard and didn't hear, I knew that the Bible was God's Word, and I'm thankful for that. But you know what? When I was a teenager and I was out there living in sin, I would have never denied and said, oh, I don't believe the Bible's God's word. I, I would have said the right thing. But there was nothing in my heart or in my life that demonstrated that I really believed it. Why? Because I was resisting it. I was rejecting it. I was ignoring it. I didn't want to hear, listen, the, the things that I was doing in my life that I knew were wrong, I didn't want to hear the preacher or the Sunday school teacher tell me what I was doing was wrong. Whenever that would happen, I would just, I would go out of the class and it's kind of like them. I didn't even know why I didn't like them. But I know now because they were telling me something that I didn't want to hear. And it might have just been because it was convicting and I didn't really want conviction. I just wanted to be in that class and to hang out with my friends. How you receive the word determines how it affects you. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11 says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So, it, you know, we read in Thessalonica that they received it as the word of God, but then you had others in Berea that were more noble in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They didn't have the canned typical excuses. They didn't, they didn't walk away going, I don't know about that Paul guy. You know, he's just a hypocrite. I don't think that he's real all those Christians, that church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. They didn't walk away with all of the typical lame, flimsy excuses. They said, hey, let's check out what this guy's saying. 
He's saying that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and that he rose again the dead, from the dead. Let's check out what they have to say. And so they had a copy of the Bible. And so they said, let's spend some time searching and seeing what the Bible says. You know what they were doing? They were plowing their heart and their soil so that they could receive the seed of the word of God. I want to conclude with a couple things by way of explanation, and that is this, the conditions of the soil, we'll see what Jesus said about that. Look at Matthew 13 and verse number 18. Matthew 13, 18, he said, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, that's the devil, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while... For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. The people here that Jesus described as the wayside in verse number 19, we would say of them, I don't get it. I don't get it. You ever seen something or heard something, maybe some behavior that somebody did, and you just go, I don't get it. Well, that's what the wayside uh, people who hear the word of God, it's like, I don't get it those who don't understand, and the devil comes along and snatches it away. Jesus likened the devil to the fowl of the air, that that seed's just, it's just laying there on the ground. And the devil comes along, those fowl, and just takes that away. You know, we're living in a culture today that uh, there is a lot of, a lot of fowl, there's a lot of the devil's birds out there to snatch the seed away. You know that? We have, I mean, our whole culture, the public education system, higher education. Man, how many times have I seen a Christian young person go into a secular university and college and boy, they go in believing in Jesus and believing in the Bible and four years later, they come out questioning everything. You know what happened? They had the seed of the word of God. They had the truth, but it was just sitting there by the wayside and they got around a bunch of bird brain professors and those birds just came and snatched away those seed. Alan Bean was the commander of Apollo 13 and the fourth man to walk on the moon. A friend asked him about the spiritual side of a ride through space. The friend commented that some astronauts say they felt the presence of God. They said to Alan, they said, was that a common experience? Alan Bean was quiet for a moment and then he replied, 
He said, some did, some did not. He said, deep space is no different from here in this regard. He said, we always find what we expect to find. A lot of truth to that. I went with a group of preachers to the Holy Land and I didn't know what to expect to find. I was hoping that I would see some things that, you know, when we read the Bible, it's just words and it's just stories. And, you know, you, you, you want to see those places. And some of the things that as you read about it, about Jesus and things that he did, and you read about the Old Testament characters, and you think, hey, if I just see where this happened, it's just going to be so meaningful. It's just going to come to life and be so real. And we went over there and I found out that, most of the places that we went to, more than likely, were not the actual place. Most of it was tourist traps, and I had enough intelligence to recognize that. And then anything that maybe was the actual geographic location, they would take and build this big Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox cathedral right over the top of it, and so you walk into that place and it just looks like a bunch of spooky man-made religion. It's just like, this is, it was a disappointment. There was a handful of places that meant something to me, but I didn't get a big emotional response. And there would be some other preachers from, you know, different parts that they would go and they'd just be weeping and have this great emotional experience. And, and it made me feel bad because I thought, man, this must be a skeptic or a cynic. And they're enjoying it because that's what they were looking for. That's what they found. We, we find what we're looking for. And that's where the condition of your soil oftentimes is going to determine. Wouldn't you agree that the seed ought to determine what happens, not just the soil? But there is the wayside. That's the people that just hear the gospel and it's like, yeah, I don't get it. You know, the churches are filled with wayside members. They're church members. And it's been their church, and they grew up in that church, but as far as what the Word of God did for them, they're just wayside. Word of God has no effect. And then there's the stony places in verse 20 through 21. These are those who say, I get it, but it's really not for me. These stony places, when you think about it, the, the, the rock or the stone is going to be very, very uh, quick to germinate a seed. Why? Because any rain or water that comes down on it, it's not going to permeate. It's going to stay there, right there on the top. The, the sun's going to hit that stone, and it's going to warm it up a whole lot quicker than it would on the dirt. And so those seeds of the gospel are just going to spring right up. But the problem is there's no root. And Jesus described that, hey, when persecution or tribulation, whenever, uh, whenever that person who, boy, they immediately responded to Jesus, yeah, I want that. That's the person that, hey, they're in vacation Bible school or Sunday school that their best friend walked down the aisle or was baptized and they go, yeah, they got all that attention. I'd like to get on that too. Or maybe they're feeling that pressure from their parents or the preacher, and it's just like, well, i got to get them off my back, and I've got to respond. Churches are filled with stony place believers that, hey, they respond. They said the prayer. They maybe even were baptized, 
But as soon as the Christian life meant something that they didn't expect, it's like, you know what, I, I don't have any use for that. I only wanted the benefits of salvation as long as nothing was expected from me in return. It's like people who, who, who want to take a diet pill in order to lose weight. And you've seen there's all kinds of ads on the internet, on the television. Hey, pop this pill twice a day and you are going to be looking slim and trim in 30 days, right? You ever read the fine print on those pills? I'm not saying I bought any of them. I've looked at them at CVS. You read the back of it. Every single one of them says this product is proven to be effective along with a proper diet and exercise plan. You know, that's their disclaimer. It's like, okay, the truth be known, you could diet and exercise and save your money on the pill and you're going to lose weight. But people want a quick fix. We want the benefits, but we don't want what goes along with it. And so many people treat Jesus and the gospel the same way. I don't want to go to hell. I want my ticket to heaven. I don't want to have to worry about that, but I just don't want anything that causes me to have to identify with Jesus Christ. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to give up my sin. I don't want to face any persecution or suffering. And so when that happens, they just decide that, you know what, I get it, but it's just not for me. They wither away. There was no repentance, no sacrifice, no reproach, and certainly no change. It's people that want a better life without a better life. And then the third one here are the thorns. The seed that fell among the thorns in verse number 22. These are those who say, I get it, I want it, but I'm too busy right now. The cares of this world and the riches choke the, the effectiveness of the word of God from their life. It was early evening on November 9th, 1965, when a power station at Niagara Falls became overloaded from its power demands. It was set to measure power... Um, it was set to measure power output and to transfer power to a backup system if the output rose too high. This system had been put in place two years earlier, but no one had thought to readjust the measurements to reflect the changes in power demands that had happened over that two-year period. At the first sign of a power overload, the station shut down and began transferring power to the backup generators. These two became overloaded and shut down, resulting in a massive blackout across most of the northeastern United States and Canada. I mean, we're talking about hospitals and schools and police stations, all of this, the power is shut down. Why? because someone had not thought to readjust the numbers on the main generator. Reminds me of people today. You're overloaded. It's not that easy to reset the numbers. Listen, we want to do everything so well. And listen, we're living in a day and age where there are so many things that are available to us. This is probably one of the biggest 
challenges of the culture that we live in. Some of you remember a simpler day where you just grew your garden, worked your job, you went home, you raised your kids, very simple kind of life. Nowadays, listen, pretty much anything that you want to do, you can go on a trip. There was a day where if you wanted to go on a trip and you wanted to see something, it was a big commitment. You didn't just get in a car or on a plane or a lot of things that you could not do unless you really made a big commitment. And because of that, the world was a large place. And you couldn't just do anything that you wanted anytime. You didn't have the resources, whether you didn't have the time, whether you didn't have the money, or there was just no availability for some of those nice, fun things to see and do. That's not the culture that we live in today. Technology has made our life simpler but not really. We are overloaded. We have burdens and we have stresses and we have pressures. We want to do everything well. We want to provide for our families. We want to excel in our work. We want to make sure that our children can participate in all kinds of activities. Any time left over goes to some type of recreation just so that we can keep our sanity while we are managing all of these loads that happen in life. Some of you are nodding your head. You understand. Any honest person would have to say, preacher, you're right. I see it. I get it. I understand it. All of these things in life are good things. But the problem is, in all of this, when you think about Jesus, well... He'll just have to take his place in line. I got too many pressures, too many stresses. I just don't have enough room in my life for Jesus Christ. That's the seed that fell among the thorns and it devoured it. Yeah, they were growing just fine, but the thorns eventually choked that fruit, choked that plant so that it became unfruitful. But as we close, I want to talk about the good ground. In verse number 23, these are those who say, I get it, I want it, I receive it, and it's more important than anything else in my life. How do you know when that's happened? Well, I'll tell you how you know. It, it, you know that it's happened by the fruit that it produces, not by the dialogue, not by the testimony. You know, so many people in churches today say all of the right things as if, you know what, if this was a test or an exam, I would pass it with flying colors. I have the right story, I have the right terminology, and everything's fine, but I don't have any fruit in my life that looks like the Word of God is working. It's all about the fruit. A man stormed into a newspaper office holding a copy of that day's edition he, he demands to speak to the person responsible for the obituaries. He finally gets into the guy's office. They let him in, and he, he takes that newspaper and shoves the column into this man's face, and it shows him that the paper contained his obituary. He says, you can see that I am very much alive, he complained. I demand an immediate retraction. <laughs> The reporter replied, he said, I never retract an obituary, but I'll tell you what I'll do. 
in tomorrow's edition, I'll put you in the birth column and give you a fresh brand new start. <laughs> you know, I got some good news for you here this morning. The sower goes out and sows, and it doesn't mean that it's just a one-shot deal. You may be sitting here this morning, and for all of your life, you have been a wayside recipient of the seed, or a stony place recipient of the gospel, or you might even be that person that you've let the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the seed of the word of God. But you can get a fresh start here today. You can open up your heart and you can be that good ground that says, I get it, I understand it, I want it, and I receive it. It's more important to me than anything else in my life. A couple of years ago, uh, we, were, we planted our garden. And uh, for whatever reason, not sure what happened, but the green beans began to come up, you know, the sprouts and the leaves. I, I love it when that happens, by the way. You start seeing that little mound that you made. You just start seeing the dirt crack open. And, you know, this little part of the bean starts coming out. And next thing you know, you come out the next morning and, you know, the leaves are this big. It's like, wow, you could almost see that grow if you watched it long enough. Well, we had these, you know, two or three rows of beans. And it was just like a little sprout coming up, scattered, just one or two or three in each row and all of this space and we thought, well, maybe we planted them too deep and we just got to wait a little longer and so we waited and we waited and we waited and a couple more came up here and there but still you looked at it, it's like, you know what, if we let this crop grow, we're going to get about two quarts. <laughs> so my wife made the decision, it's her, her garden, I usually just obey and help. So she just got the hoe and she just did away with whatever was there and planted some brand new rows. And about five or six days later, that whole row was just beans coming up. I don't know what happened. I don't know if bugs or birds or something got them or I don't know what happened. But she just started over. And you know what? That crop came in and we had plenty of green beans a little bit later, about a week later than everybody else's. For the most part, it caught up. But the point that I'm trying to make is that whatever you've been in the past, it's not too late to change and to receive the seed of the Word of God. If you don't want to understand the gospel, then you won't. If you only want the benefits of the gospel, then you will eventually wither. If you're too busy... If you're too busy for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, then I would say this to you, enjoy your garden of thorns because that's all you're going to have is thorns in life. The riches, all of the things, the dreams and ambitions at the end of your life, you're going to find that this is not a crop. These are just thorns and it's not going to be and enjoyable. You're going to look back on your life and you're going to think, why did I waste it on a bunch of thorns? But if you really want Jesus, then I can say to you this morning, he certainly wants you. Salvation is conditional. 
God has met all of his conditions. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. And to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his redemption, Jesus rose again the third day. That's a powerful, powerful message. Nothing's wrong with the message, but you can make it powerful by receiving it as a heart of good soil.